The CBF Podcast Conversation is presented to you by Fuller Seminary. Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry offers a practice-focused theological education. Learn from Fuller's seasoned scholar practitioners with online classes and apply what you're learning to your own context. Whatever your ministry goals, Fuller Seminary's MA in Theology and Ministry will help you take the next step in your vocation. For more information, visit fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. That's fuller.edu backslash M-A-T-M degree. Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This is the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship's Conversations. We are bringing you stories from across the fellowship through interviews with people doing groundbreaking work in renewing God's world. Ideas, stories, and innovation from ministers, authors, and practitioners from across the fellowship and beyond. This is Andy Hale. We are honored that you join us each week for Conversations That Matter. That's why in 2020, we've tried to pivot to make sure that we are covering the things that need to be talked about, like the plague of racism in America and how the church is responding to the COVID-19 crisis. We're also coming up on our 150th episode, which would not be possible without listeners like you engaging each week in the conversation. Don't forget that you can be a part of supporting the podcast while receiving some great benefits, such as joining an interview with an upcoming guest, books from authors interviewed, and a VIP experience at this summer's General Assembly. We want to thank William Johnson and Cindy Folendor for their monthly support of the podcast. Check out how you can support at cbf.net backslash podcast support. And now, on to our conversation. Our guest for this week's CBF podcast conversation is Jesse Moss and Amanda McBain. They're the directors and producer of Boy State, a new documentary featured on A24 and Apple TV+. In January, uh, the film won the Sundance Film Festival's U.S. Documentary Competition Grand Jury Prize. Uh, Jesse and Amanda, thank you for joining the conversation. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Now, all right, uh, we'll get to Boy State in just a minute, but rarely uh, does the audience get to... um, uh, I guess, look into the eye behind the directorial camera, if you will. So, um, Amanda, we'll start with you. Tell us a little bit about the person uh, behind the film work. Meaning me? Yeah, you as a, you know, <laughs> as an individual. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. I even, I, it's like something I know a lot about, but also don't know how to answer uh, succinctly. Let's see. I've worked in documentary for 20 plus years. Um Jesse and I have worked together for uh, almost as long, and we've been married almost as long. So this is not the first film that I've worked on. Um, 
I was a producer on a film called Ghosts of Attica. I was a producer on um, a film about Burt Reynolds. I was a producer. I mean, so it kind of range. The range is is wide, and I can't really. There's no rhyme or reason really to what I pick, other than um, it has to be questions that are nagging at me um, in the moment, and for whatever reason, I want to do a deep dive immersion into whatever those questions. Um, are provoking uh, and hopefully finding a space and people who are intriguing enough to me to, to do that exploration. You know, the documentary um, expression of a film is so unique. Um, I wonder if you might give us a brief glimpse into kind of as you were kind of living into this calling to tell story through film, you know, why you chose the, the outlet of, of the documentary. It's a great question because I also went to um, I went to graduate school in writing for for well, creative writing so for fiction so I think that the kind of filmmaking we do verite filming verite filmmaking sort of observational cinema is a certain kind of documentary there's all kinds of ways to tell a documentary story um, but but verite for me is um, it works with how I process the world, works with how I want to meet the world and meeting people who are so, you know, maybe on the surface different from myself, but then in the end learning um, a lot about life and a lot about myself, frankly, from, from entering their lives is, is one of the fundamental um, kind of joys of verite filmmaking, spending a a good chunk of time and getting very personal with people is also a great part of Verite filmmaking. It's not an easy kind of documentary because you do not know where the story is going to go. Financing them before they happen has been a struggle forever. Um, and so you have, <laughs> that was um, also maybe something that, uh, I, I learned to be okay with over time. Um, I think, you know, you have these big questions, but then fundamentally as a storyteller, finding human beings at the center of these stories um, is really, for me, the, the, the only way I can, I can tell a story, frankly. Jesse, tell us a little bit more about you as, a, as an individual, the person behind the camera. Um. Well, I'm married to Amanda McBain, uh, my creative partner. Uh, we've, as Amanda said, made a, a number of films together over the years. And I love the form. Um, I, I think of it as a calling in a way. It's not, a, it's not work. It's just the way I want to relate to the world. When I discovered it around 25 years ago, through a couple of films, one political documentary called The War Room about Bill Clinton's campaign, another movie called Hoop Dreams. It was 1994 and those were incredible movies, incredible stories about real people that had all the drama, the urgency, the relevance of the best scripted filmmaking. And I, I was just blown away by the form and the possibilities of the form. And I liked that you could tell a story, you could be politically engaged you could there was an aspect of journalism to the craft it's an art form um i like all of those things i like that it's an elastic form and 
there's a lot of freedom to it that you can make a documentary without a lot of resources if that's your circumstance. Um, so it's liberating and I threw myself into it and here I am. Um, it's, it wasn't a straight line. Um, and I, like Amanda said, I think I followed my instincts more than any kind of rational plan and the kinds of stories that I've told or wanted to tell. And usually they're, they begin with questions for me about the way the world is working, big questions, um, the Iraq war, oil extraction in North Dakota, the state of political division in America. But through those big questions, finding our way to really intimate human stories is the way I connect um, and answer the question. I don't answer the question, but I confront the question. Well, as, as you know before, you, you all collaborate uh, together. Uh, your company is is Mile End Film. And and you've already done brilliant documentaries together, The Overnighters, uh, the uh, the bandit. Um, I'm sure you're asked this a thousand times, but what's what's the experience like doing what you love uh, as your vocational calling with with the person that you love, your life partner? We actually don't get asked that question um, very much, which I think is interesting. Um, Jesse and I have a shared sensibility that I think was um, apparent very early, even on making Speedo, which we made in 1990, started to make in 1990, you know, the last century, in the last century. So, um, and that was, uh, you know, when you recognize in another, in another that they sort of are moved by the same things, um, that you share curiosity about the same things and that um, they have sort of an observational skill that complements your own. I think that's a very exciting moment. And I think that's true to other creative partnerships is not necessarily, um, you know, necessary that you're married. Um, but to find a, a lifetime collaborator, I think on, in, in a creative space is, is, um, it's, it's, it's very deep. And I, and I know this from other people who have sort of um, folks that they work with forever. That's not to say that we work on everything together. And I think that's actually part of what keeps our creative relationship fresh, frankly, is there's some, um, there's some projects that I'm more inclined to, and there's uh, some projects that Jesse's more inclined to. Um, and those are those are a little bit more challenging actually to not work on together because I have a lot of opinions and it's hard for me to not you know but that's also helpful to actually you know live together and have somebody in the house who um you know you trust to give you notes that are going to be useful and productive and um but you know also honest and compassionate and all the things that you need from um from people in the early days of, of working on a project when the, the art itself is a little bit vulnerable or you're vulnerable about the art you're making and that kind of thing. So, um, but I frankly can't really compare it to any other kind of, uh, it's the only working relationship or marriage that I've known. So I can't, I don't know what it's like to not work together with the person I'm married to. So it's a little bit hard to say, it's just what works for us and what, um, what we've done with our lives. Yeah. Well, that's not an invitation to like try something else, you know, it's like stick with this. Y'all are doing a great job on both ends. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, this is, it's a brilliant 
film and and it's it's an amazing project so um to kind of introduce it for for those listening voice state which of course is is now available um for you to watch uh this is an 85 year summer program by the american legion that is kind of a rite of passage for those entering into the political coliseum of american um uh, government system and it it sounds obscure until you discover that Bill Clinton, Cory Booker, Dick Cheney, Rush Limbaugh, Mike Huckabee, I even found that Nick Saban, the University of Alabama head football coach, are all he's he's alumni of the program as well. So how how did you learn about Boys State and and why did you decide to tell uh, this story? Um Jesse, we'll start with you. I think that we first learned about I learned about the program when I saw that famous picture of Bill Clinton as a teenage bull shaking JFK's hand in the Rose Garden. That was when Clinton was running for president in 1992. And um, he had attended Boys Nation, which is a kind of culmination of Boys State. Um, and But I hadn't gone through the program. Amanda didn't go through it as we're both young, young people growing up in California. I didn't even know about it then. So, And I put it away after I saw that Clinton picture and thought it was an artifact of a different age. Um, and it wasn't until we read about the program in the Washington Post in 2017 about the Texas Boys State program having voted to secede from the union that, that I realized that it's still out there. And maybe a bit like, oh, I don't know, Little League Baseball or something. It's just, you know, it's sort of woven into the fabric of American life and sort of visible but invisible. And, and um, I loved rediscovering it and recognizing that it, it's a really unusual space. It's a very ambitious program. The ideas are big. The execution is complicated. Um, as you point out, like so many people have gone through it. And the, uh, the, the central fact that they create a space in the real world where people with very different politics get together and try to work it out was kind of exciting to discover, particularly at a moment then, just a few years ago, where things were uh, incredibly fraught. Um, our country was then felt very divided. Trump had just been elected president. Um, of course, things seem to have gotten more divided since then. But um, I think we, we saw this as a really unusual space and a potentially an interesting space to explore as filmmakers um, because of that conversation that was happening. And because we could look at politics through the experiences of young people who were sort of just forming their political identities. And um, wrestling with big questions about their roles in democracy and how to, you know, what how to run for office and questions that we ask of ourselves and our political leaders, but but I think asking of young people was an interesting prospect. Now, Amanda, when when you're filming a project like Voice State, where there's um, I mean, there's thousands of young men to choose to make the central sh- subjects of of the story you're telling. How did you land on Stephen, Robert, Ben, and and Renee? Hmm. Um, well, the casting, we call it, of this film, which was really, um, the funny thing to say when you're talking about documentary, right? Um, because they're not actors. Um, we had to look, we had to search far and wide to find them out of the 1,100 people we knew were going to attend 2018 Texas Boy State we needed four to follow. Well, we didn't arbitrarily need four. We wanted a small group, right? We didn't know that we needed, like there wasn't a set number. Oh yeah, yeah. okay. All right. 
Sure, Jesse. Well, I, I mean, I think it's, it's not like we were, yeah, I just, I think like we could have included five or three. It's more like. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we, we knew that that was going to be a challenge though, to find people that, uh, that one would hopefully do well in the program, right? Because we, we really wanted the, the people we followed to go the distance of the week and we knew it was a challenging event. Um, so we looked for folks who were politically savvy and um, were formidable enough in their political beliefs that they could hold their own, but also flexible enough that they were kind of interesting to us as um, filmmakers and as storytellers, right? So um, we looked, we knew we needed a group that were gonna be very different from one another politically. Again, the whole purpose is to have people um, from the right and from the left in conversation with one another. And we, um, so we spent three months crisscrossing Texas, um, you know, talking to many, 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 many kids, a lot of really interesting kids. Um, but we found Steven at an orientation of about 300 kids outside of Houston. And it's kind of one of those uh, kind of magic moments of documentary where thank goodness he showed up to that orientation. Not all kids do. Thank goodness that Jesse, you know, um, saw him in that space, frankly, or heard him because he's, as you see in the film, he's a quieter kid. And there were plenty of not quiet kids in that space. And so, um, but that, for instance, was a moment where out of 300, we found Steven and he just immediately struck us because of this kind of X factor quality of, I think to us, he struck us as someone with a with an old soul, and that was in in you know in the middle of a bunch of seventeen year olds, um, a moment for us. Um, so we met Ben, Stephen, and Robert beforehand, and then Renee's the one that we actually cast while the event was going. We met him on day two when he stands up and gives an extraordinary speech, like one of the best speeches I've ever heard. So um, we cast him right there. This CBF podcast is presented to you by the Center for Congregational Health. At the Center, we help lay leaders, clergy, and congregations find ways to thrive in the midst of change. Our experienced and highly trained consultants and coaches don't prescribe one-size-fits-all solutions. Instead, we work alongside you and take your unique congregation and ministry context seriously. We believe the wisdom for thriving comes from the leadership of the Spirit. We help create the spaces for congregations to hear and recognize that God-given wisdom. Please visit our website, healthychurch.org, to learn more about the center and find the help you need in order to thrive in ministry. You know, as I was watching the film, at times I felt like I was just watching young men live out what we already see happening in Washington today with all of its contentious uh, and, and divisive undertones. Well, at other times I saw glimmers of hope of, of a different way for the future. You know, as you think back on the experience of filming, how did you feel? Um, was, was it playtime of the same old, same old politics or was it something um, new for the, for the next generation? Uh, Jesse, I don't know if you want to tackle that one first. Yeah, I think it was a lot of feels. Um, I mean, what drew us was the sense that there, there were a, a kind of weather vane for the country, a very sensitive instrument uh, in their own way. Of course, it's all male, 
but um, but still, I mean that that provided its own window into masculinity and the uh, competing ways of being a young man in America today and how that plays out in political identity and strategy. That was really interesting, but um, also like a grand social experiment. Um, so I think <laughs> initially, well, we we suspected based on that secession vote of the previous year that there was a kind of unruly energy which we would encounter and the energy of a thousand teenage boys crammed into an auditorium, which you see in the film is kind of wild, kind of scary, sometimes funny, a lot of things. Um, one thing we couldn't communicate in the film is what it smells like, but um, we could also <laughs> kind of throw, our, we loved throwing our camera into it and bringing the audience into it and you, you feel the energy and it's, it's a little bit dangerous, it's a little bit wild, it's a little bit Lord of the Flies. That, to some extent, we expected. What we didn't expect was a whole different dimension that emerges through the week, both in the individual young men who we were following, but in the kind of the mass of the electorate as a whole. That was something deeper, more profound, more reflective, quieter, more intimate, um, and, uh, that uh, emotional even. Th th that was... Um, a revelation. I think also the degree to which the story that played out really does mirror our national contest. I mean, that's just maybe inevitable, but also some degree of luck in there that we follow a particular race, the race for governor and the, the heads of the two parties that are squaring off and the leading candidates and the tactics, um, the issues. I mean, it was the fault line of America just ran right through this story. And that was a kind of wonderful discovery for us. Going back to that smell for a second, it would be pretty uh, amazing if y'all were able to offer a 4D experience, you know, because that's what everyone wants to smell at home as uh, the ripe smell of a teenage boy. Yeah, uh, anything is not the adjective I would use. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, while most of the participants and Boy State program are, are predominantly white, I was pleased to see uh, uh, Latina X and African American, Asian American young men. Of course, when you look back at the alumni pictures of this experience, that's not always been the case. Um, Amanda, what can you tell us about the cross-cultural experience of Boy State? It's true that what we saw, and I think what's been historically true about the program is a majority, um, a, a majority white and majority conservative and majority rural, at least in the case of Texas, um, population attending. Um, and I, I think that the program, the Texas Boy State Leadership Program is um, fully sort of engaged with this process of trying to move their, their program forward kind of into the 21st century so that, they're, so that the people who attend better reflect the current demo, demographic shift of Texas, um, uh, the Texas population. I think that's probably true in all the state programs, but I don't know. I can only speak to what we saw and learned about Texas. There's a lot of old fashioned quality to the Boy State program. A lot of sort of maybe 1950s, 1930s, late 30s-ish stuff. Um, so that's a really interesting combination of kind of backward and forward, not backwards, but sort of um, what old fashioned and then forward thinking. Um, that is, I mean, Jesse likes to talk about this. I think it's true. It's a little bit of a straddle that that is also something that's reminiscent of what America in general is experiencing. And I think, you know, at least in the Texas Boy State 
program, they're they're working very hard to um, move forward. Yeah, I mean, as a country, we're sort of dragging these values and structures that are not not only 20th century, but in some cases 19th century, and not for the better, but for the worse. And we're recognizing that these are structures that we need to continue to try to jettison or get beyond to be a better country. And and you do see that and feel that at Boys State to some degree and it's homogeneity. But that homogeneity is what made our film in some ways representative, but also interesting because you see these young men of color, Stephen, who's of Mexican descent, Renee, who's African-American um, and, um, and Hispanic, um, challenging that dominant structure and and successfully to some degree, navigating it. I mean, that just was really, really um, extraordinary to see uh, in their personal journeys and different motivations and how they, how they handle themselves. And not just navigate it, but actually inspire the group and inspire a following from, uh, as you say, a majority white, majority conservative um, uh, unruly gallery. I mean, it was really a way to get at that fundamental question for us of, is there common ground? And how do you forge it? And who, who, do, you who do you need to forge it? You know, and I think it's a question we're all asking now that we're sailing into the presidential race and high season. Um, but I think to see teenage boys wrestle with those qualities themselves, both the candidates and the electorate who was assessing them, that was really interesting. Well, we had to point out there is um, girls' state, um, kind of a, a contrasting gender experience. Um, is there a, a girls' state documentary in the works to kind of cover a, a, a different perspective of all this? We are for sure going to make a girls' state um, documentary. Um, I like to call it a sibling, not a sequel. Um, if the girls had seceded, you know, in 2017 we would have been there first, but the programs, once they, they have to come back in person um, and, and once they do, we'll, we'll be there. So um, I know as directors, you want viewers to formulate their own opinion about the story you've told. Um, but, you know, what are your takeaways uh, for the project? Jesse, we'll start with you. Well, first of all, I have politics and my politics inform the choices I make, where my attention goes, um, who we cast in the film, um, how we present the story that we found. I mean, I think it's it, it's not a reductive film. Um, I think it, it elicits a complicated set of responses for people, depending on their feelings about the current state of the country. Um, their political leanings, um, their own life experience. I mean, that's that's good. That's okay. Um, I know for me, um, you know, I think I desperately wanted to feel. First of all, I wanted to feel hopeful because I felt quite despondent. Um, the direction our country seems to be heading. Um, I was looking for both sort of some answer to the question of how did we get here and how do we move forward, but also, I think looking to be inspired. And I found that, I mean, I think not in an, again, not in an easy way, but I certainly found people who inspired me, their level of engagement, their thoughtfulness, their intelligence, the way they conducted themselves. Actually, and, and I'm not just speaking of Stephen, who is in some respects our hero, 
uh, of this story. But but Ben, whose politics are very different than mine, he's a great supporter of Ronald Reagan. He's got a Ronald Reagan doll on his bookshelf. He proudly shows us in the film. Um, I don't think Ben and I see eye to eye politically, but I really respect him. I like him a lot. I consider him a friend, almost a family member. Um, I love his degree of self-questioning. Uh, I love his passion. Um, I think we can agree to disagree. And um, that's important to me. And I think what we see in the film too. So um, I think uh, I think also fundamentally just the level of engagement that we see is important. So I saw that in the film and, and the ability of people to reach across uh, these divides and, and forge connection. We see it in the movie and that left me uh, hopeful. Amanda? I mean, again, because we're married and we've been working together for 20 years, I'm going to repeat maybe some of the things. Were you grimacing? Was <laughs> no. it something I said that no. upset you? No, I was like, oh my gosh, you've said it all. No, um, no. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I will say, you know, the same thing, but maybe a little differently. I, I think the level of engagement of all of these guys, I think is, is critical on, to me, um, in understanding sort of what will carry us through this turbulent period. The, one of the principles of the program is democracy is not a spectator sport. And I think that's very true, not only to sort of <laughs> how the program functions in the kind of tribalistic, a little bit like sports, like you called it a coliseum earlier. There's a little bit of that going on, but the other fact of it is that, you know, democracy is fragile. It is not a given. And without engagement, um, it suffers. And so for me, I think the engagement here that I'm reminded of is that we need to be having these difficult conversations, understanding that they are difficult. There is nothing easy that is going to happen. And this has been true since the beginning of the country. And this has probably been true in other countries. So to me, the kind of hope we're talking about is not, it is not naive. It is a full understanding. And Stephen was a great reminder of this to to uh, what is the Napoleon quote that he says? I'm just I'm blanking on it. It's so great. Uh, you become strong by defying defeat. Yeah, you defy defeat. You do not um, stop trying to have these conversations. Or in Stephen's case, if, if it's true to your nature, empathic leadership is true to your nature. The understanding that serving others, not yourself, is true to the kind of leadership uh, you can offer. Um, Th those are all reminders for, for someone like me that, that America will, that we need people like that and they exist even in the form of a 17 year old um, where you know we did see some cynical, um, we, saw, we saw it all is what I'm saying and he saw it all and he persisted and um, I needed that reminder. It's, it's very exciting to be, to touch base with that. Um, kind of nor North Star. Maybe humor me for a moment. There was a few times when I was watching the film that I wish I was with the film crew because I would have stepped to the side of the camera and said, like, are you kidding me on what you just said? <laughs> you know, just uh, whether it was on Second Amendment rights or women's uh, reproductive uh, rights, uh, you know, as you, was there ever a point that 
that you wanted to step around the camera and have a hard conversation with the, the subject you were filming? I, <laughs> I mean, I think you're always mindful as a documentary filmmaker that those moments of temptation are, are often <laughs> some of the more compelling moments. And I think the harder moments are because you get to know these people um, through this kind of work so intimately, they become uh, more than subjects, they become friends um, and confidants sometimes. And these are young people too. And when, when you see somebody in pain, you know, and you wanna comfort them um, or struggling to make a decision, you want to offer advice and how can you do that? Or how do you do that? Or do you, do you withhold that? Those are the challenging moments, I think. Um, when somebody stands up and says, you know, proclaims loudly to a room of 600 boys, our masculinity will not be infringed. I mean, that's, it's just outrageous. Um, so maybe not, not to your question so much. I mean, there were plenty of those moments that really made our jaws drop. Um, and just sort of, or one, one young man, uh, I, I won't name him, I'll let our audience discover the, the character in the film, but he, he decides that the best way to win over the electorate is to grab his crotch in a speech. And um, that's not quite an accurate um, description of what he does, but it's sort of a low base appeal to the cheap seats and it's a miscalculation. And, and I don't, I mean, that's, that's the choice he wanted to make and how he wanted to reach out and connect with people. And I wasn't gonna stop him. Um, and I certainly wasn't gonna encourage him either because that's not, you know, that's not how we, I think we're, we're more listener, we're not, passive and we're not objective, but I think we're patient and we listen and we watch. Yeah. Maybe a better question would have been, how did you develop such a wonderful poker face as you stand behind the camera? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Amanda, you were, you were about to say something. I mean, there's some level of this work that is anthropology, right? And I, so observing what I understood to be many kids, um, parroting phrasing that I imagine they got at home or from whatever media they're taking in. Um, I think you both despair and also fully understand that that's what it is to be 17, right? And that they're, they're kind of in this betweenness that I think is really interesting. You know, going into this project, by the way, we had so many questions and curiosities about the health of our democracy and hyperpolarization and everything else. But I think what we hadn't, we should have anticipated once we got there, what an incredible window we had into boyhood as well. Um, you know, circa 2018 and all the conversations about Me Too and um, toxic masculine and everything else. I think it was a really interesting time to check in on a group of 1,117 year old boys. Um, I think that Jesse alluded to this a little bit earlier, but there's a lot of sort of maybe a failure of imagination on my part, but I, I really did go in and expected a lot of sort of um, maybe more Lord of the Fliesy kind of behavior. And, and we did see um, some of that obviously, um, but I was surprised by the level of um, kind of the other, the other stuff I saw, so listening, and uh, it was actually quite an emotional week, and I, I just, I hadn't really anticipated that, um, and it was, I think, one of the kind of 
great takeaways for me of this experience. One one thing I couldn't help but think about when I was watching this was, oh my God, I would not want to have been filmed at 17 and then turn around and film me at 24 to see how my perspectives have changed. But what an extraordinary change that happens in just a short period of time in our lives where most of the time, as you alluded earlier, we're simply regurgitating what we've heard at home or from, um, you know, whether it be teachers or uh, mentors in our life and how much we begin to formulate our own perspectives on things in a matter of, of years. So it would be fascinating to go back and to have y'all interview um, these young men years later to see just how much their perspectives have changed. Of course, how the world around us changes us, but no, it's very, uh, yeah, they've already changed even in two years, you know, well, as you consider the, the thousands of young men involved in this program, um, did any of them give you hope for the future of American politics and governance? Uh, Jesse, we'll, we'll start with you. Well, I think to see their capacity for growth in this short week was, was hopeful. Um, Robert comes to know himself. Stephen finds his voice. Um, ben, it's taken a little bit longer, now two years after the fact, where he's reflected on some of his tactics that are maybe uh, corrosive. Um, there's been learning uh, there. Um, I think just their capacity for growth and reflection is inspiring to me. They're not, are they representative of the group as a whole or 17 year olds in America? I don't know and I doubt it because I think to some extent we were drawn to them because of their exceptionalism and their vulnerability. And, um, but um, that's all I got to go on. And I love having them in my life now. Every day they surprise me and inspire me. And you know, they're not all um, gunning for elected office. Um, Robert's at West Point and Ben is, why are you? Because that was what I was gonna say. Oh, well, I got to you first. I got to there first. <laughs> Amanda was like, We, we both, Jesse and I are like both pretty excited by, I mean, like you were just talking about, have they grown or will they grow in seven years? And in fact, in two years, I think all of, them have really landed in these very um, kind of deep and appropriate to who they are now um, lanes of, of, of America, service to America, right? So um, Robert is a cadet. I mean, he's, he's at West Point um, and believes, I mean, that's his path and it's true to who he is. And um, Ben is, I forget, what is his major? It's like, well, he studies, um, international relations and in Russian, right. and he'd so, like to work for the security state, the state department or the department of defense and yeah. national security issues. And he's totally committed to that. And he's like fully learning Russian and, um, Renee is doing incredible work as an organizer and, um, fact gathering for, I mean, he's, he's deep in the, into activism, uh, and with the BLM. And Stephen is sort of, um, he's, he's also majoring in government at UT Austin, but he's really, I think in having found his voice and having done, he's, he's, he's going to do this for a living. Um, and whenever he'll work on campaigns until the day comes when he feels like it, it would be, you know, he's needed to run himself. And I just love that they've all, um, those are all ways to serve the country. And I, I just think that's kind of an amazing um, place to have ended up. 
I can't say how much it means to me as a, a consumer of uh, this art that you've produced that, um, and I've heard this throughout this conversation is that this just, you know, these just aren't subjects for you to get a great quote or for them to say something embarrassing. Um, but you care deeply about the people, um, that you're telling their stories. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, I guess the last question is you, you told us a little bit about this potential sibling documentary. Are, are there other projects that you want to let us know about? Well, um, that's on the top of our list for sure. I mean, I, we have another project that is in a, it's a very different than Boy State, but it's certainly uh, related as well. It's another sibling and it's a political film, a political conversation. It's about finding common ground and it's, <laughs> it's just, I can't tell you much about it now. I can't really tell you anything about it now. It's a kind of top secret project, but it's super interesting and we're almost done with it. We have a bit more work to do. And I think of that and the girl state film too, is just a part of a project and that's really, um, and we'll see what other directions it takes us. As or we, maybe someday we'll do a people state. People state, movie. as Stephen Garza says in the film. What about people state, like a boy state and girl state when they integrate, that would be an exceptional film as well. So we'll see. Yeah, I can imagine what could happen if you put a thousand teenage boys and girls in the same space for a week, um, <laughs> what that would be like, yeah. Well, nothing can feel as uh, secretive of a documentary as uh, as the family, uh, which is another conversation for for another time, uh, another, yeah. another part of y'all's brilliant work. So uh, for those listening, Boy State is now available on A24 and Apple TV+. Plus. Um, Mana and Jesse, thank you for continuing to bring us unique and fascinating stories that invite us to broaden our understanding of the world and challenging us to think more inclusively. Hey, thanks, Andy, and, thank and you, thanks Andy. for your support and passion for documentary storytelling. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's our conversation. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites at fuller.edu and healthychurch.org. Check out cbf.net for information about our church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, chaplains, and much more. Oh, and uh, one more thing. I don't think we've mentioned it on the podcast before, but visit cbf.net backslash podcast support for ways that you can contribute to the CBF podcast conversations and get some pretty cool stuff in.